something, that God loves you. Not only does he love you, he loves to be with you. And, I, I, and my, my hope is that I'll pound that into your, your head, pound that into your heart, pound that into your spirit tonight. And that's for every one of you, no matter what your age is right now, God loves you and he wants to be with you. Okay? So let's look, what, let's, let's look at God's original design, God's original plan, and how God started this whole thing back in the garden or back in, in Genesis when God's creating the earth. He does all these things. He creates the earth, the sea, the, the land, the night, the day, the animals. He creates man. Adam starts naming the animals. He's responsible for the animals in the garden, and he's responsible for all this, this creation of God's. And then God puts Adam asleep and says, it's not good for you to be alone. And from a rib, he pulls out and he, he creates a woman, Eve. And so Adam and Eve are now living in God's creation, God's perfect habitat, his perfect environment that he wants to come and spend time with his creation. You see, God created the planet, the earth, the, 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 the animals, the birds, the fish, all those things, but his most most prized possession was, was Adam and Eve. That was his most prized possession was mankind. And, and it's simply put, it's, it's because we were made in the image of God, is what the Bible says. So we were made in the image of God, and so we're his most prized possession, and God created this atmosphere or this environment or this habitat that he could come in and walk. The Bible says that he would actually walk in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was his plan. So think about this. God created them and he loved them so much that he created this this perfect environment for them to come and spend time together. God loves you and God loves being with you. But we we know what happened, right? We know the story of, of the fall of man there was this tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, do not, he tells Adam, do not eat from that tree. The serpent comes, deceives the woman. The woman convinces Adam to eat from the tree. They eat from the tree. And all of a sudden, this perfect environment, this perfect creation that God creates becomes tainted and becomes, actually the Bible says it's cursed now because it disobeyed God. So sin enters the picture because of the serpent and man's disobedience to God. Sin comes into the picture, messes the whole thing up, messes it all up. Adam and Eve get cursed. The land gets cursed. They get kicked out of the garden. God puts puts guards in front of the garden so they can't come back in. They get kicked out of this perfect atmosphere where God would come, think about this, and spend time with his creation. This was like their place. This was God's favorite place to be with his favorite people. And because of sin, it was messed up. What is sin? Sin is disobedience to whatever God says to do or not do. That's simple. Simply put, that's what sin is. They messed it up. So now they're cursed. So then the story goes on. They start to multiply. Creation happens. I mean, not, not creation, but all these, uh, the, the, the land starts to get multiplied. We get stories of Abraham and Moses. And let's pick it up in, in Exodus chapter 25. I want to show you something that God did not give up. He did not quit. That was not the end of the story. 
God constantly pursues his people. He, he wants to get back to the garden. He wants to get back to the place that he called perfect, the place that was perfect for him to spend time with you and with me. And so in Exodus, we see chapter 25, the Bible says in verse 8 and 9, it says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. God was not satisfied. He was not content being away from his creation. God says, you know what? If I can't be with you like it was in the garden, I'm going to get next to you somehow. So he tells him to build this tabernacle or this ark. And and, and he's going to come. His presence is going to come and live inside of that thing so that he can be with them wherever they go. You see, here's the good news. God's pursuing you way more than you're pursuing him. God wants you way more than you want him. If you ever think you want God a whole lot, you need need to repent because you're being prideful because God wants you more. Even with their sin, even with the curse, even with everything, God set up this thing, this, this other environment for him to dwell in with his presence so that he could just be with his people. And so that he could continue to lead his people. And then in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, he says this, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. God continues to lead. He continues to command his people. Watch this from a box. Honestly, it starts out as a box. Now, that's a nice box. It's gold-plated, baby. Only certain people can, can carry it. Only certain people can handle it. Only certain people can get near it because the presence of God is in it. And so what would happen is the holy, the, the, the high priest, the most holiest priest could come into the presence of God. They could get close to this box and there they would hear from God and get the directions or discernment for where the, the, the people were supposed to go and God could, could he could, 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 could. He could command his people from that place. Are you seeing this? God wants to be with us. He wants to meet with us. He wants to live with us. He's not satisfied with sin. He's not given up. He's not saying this is the end. We may have thought it was the end, but he didn't think it was the end. Exodus chapter 26, verse 30. I promise you I'm not going to go verse by verse. It may look that way, but I'm not. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. For the inside of the the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorated with with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on the gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold and set them on four silver bases, Hang the inner curtain from from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain, watch this, will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So, So there's this box called the Ark of the Covenant, okay, that they carry with them everywhere they go as they're traveling. Then God tells them to set up this tent with all these curtains. And inside the tent, there's a holy place. But then there's a special made curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place where his presence is. 
And only certain people could go into that place. And if anybody else tried to go in there, they would die, is what the Bible says. They would die. So he sets up another environment. He, he, he creates and, and he, he sets this thing up so that he can still be with his people. But he can't release his presence to his people because there's something in the way. It's called sin. Sin's getting in the way from God being with his people. You'll also want to notice that, that even in, in Exodus 25 and 26, God says very specifically how to set up this thing. And if I had time, which would take weeks, to go into all the details of the ark and the temples. and I mean, God described it to the T and he said, build it exactly how I said to build it. You see, we always got to remember that he's God and we're not. And if he says, I want you to paint this building purple, if you paint it purple, I'll show up. Then if we want God to show up, we better paint the dang building purple. Right? Because he's God and we're not. <laughs> right? <clears throat> and so he, he has this, this perfect instruction on how to build this place. And they had to build it the right way. God's very detailed. God's very organized. God loves the details. <clears throat> we'll get back to the curtain in a little while. But the curtain was the thing that was separating us from the presence of God. The curtain was the thing now that got between his creation and the creator. It was the curtain. There was something. God put a curtain between us. There was a wall between us. What's keeping you from the presence of God? But man, don't you see how God desperately wants to be with his people? God desperately wants to be with his people. That's still true today that God desperately wants to be with us. Desperately. If you read all of the Old Testament, you see a pattern develop. It's, it's God's people fall and he lets them go through suffering. And then he brings them back up and he makes statements like, if you will just separate yourself to me, I will live among you and I will be with you. And they say, okay. And then things get good. And then they fall. And then he does it again. And this is this repeated pattern that just happens in the Old Testament and they can't ever get it right. But God has a solution. Go with me to John chapter three. Let's jump into the New Testament real quick. See how much of the book I've already skipped. John chapter 3, verse 16. You all know this verse. They, they, they hang it at every football game. Do they still do that? You still see it? John three sixteen at all football games? Every once in a while, maybe? No? I mean, that was like back in the day. They always took a shot at John three sixteen. Okay. That's probably why I don't watch football too much anymore. <laughs> so God has, a, God has a plan. God wants to restore the relationship. God wants to get next to us again. He wants to get back to the garden. God wants to, he wants to redeem the whole thing, and he's got a solution to the problem. John 3, 16, for God, so loved the world, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. You see, God didn't want to destroy us. God wanted to save us. 
There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Verse 19, and the judgment and the judgment is based on this fact that God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to come to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The light of the God sent his light into the world. And, and, and if, if you come draw near to the light, then, then you'll be saved. You, you'll, you'll have a relationship. You can be restored. That was, that's what Jesus came for. But those that are afraid of the light, they're afraid of the light because they're afraid that their sins are going to be exposed. And, and quite frankly, they just love sin more than they love God more than they love life. That was God's solution to the problem. So watch this. We go a little bit more further into Matthew chapter 27. Is this making sense? Somebody say yes or I'm just going to... Okay. Matthew chapter 27 starting in verse 50. So Jesus walks on the earth. Jesus raises up disciples. Jesus heals the sick, raises the dead, causes the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. All these things are happening. Get this. Jesus is the presence of God on the planet at that moment. Jesus is the presence of God. The problem is, is that Jesus was in human form and the presence of God could only be where Jesus was. So as Jesus goes, you, you've, heard the, you've read the stories of the woman with the issue of blood. She reaches out, touches his garment, and what? She's healed, right? Jesus said no word to her. What happened? She got into the presence of God and got healed. You follow me? So Jesus is the presence of God, and he's making disciples. He's healing the sick. He's preaching the gospel. He's telling them what's coming ahead, telling his disciples that I got to go and suffer. And then he gets arrested, and you know the story leading up to that. In verse 50, he's on the cross. And the time's coming for him to die. He just finishes crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? Verse 50, then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. Watch this. The fact that Jesus shouted states that he was still strong. You need to think about that for a minute. The fact that he shouted again, says that Jesus was still strong. You see, you got to remember, nobody took anything away from Jesus. No one took his life. He gave his life. You follow me? He surrendered. He could have spoke one word and ended the whole thing. Without a doubt. He is God's presence on the earth. He released himself. He surrendered himself. He chose to go to the cross for us. Nobody took him. Nobody made him do anything that he didn't want to do. Watch this. Watch the second half of verse 50. He shouts. He shouts out again. And then it says this. And he released his spirit in that moment. Put yourself in the, in the place. Jesus shouts. 
And at the same time, he releases his spirit. This is good. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You remember the curtain back in Moses' day? The thing that kept people from the presence of God? When Jesus released his spirit, the curtain came down. And now the presence of God is available for all those who would believe. Are you seeing this? When Jesus, it says at that moment, that means right now, Jesus shouts, releases his spirit, the curtain comes down, God's presence, God's spirit is released, and it's available to all believers in that moment. Let me tell you a little bit about the veil or the curtain. The curtain was made of animal skin and hides. It was 15 feet wide, 8 inches thick by 42 foot tall. It took a team of horses just to carry the wagon that carried the curtain. The moment Jesus releases his spirit, the curtain comes down and God's presence, the most holy of holies, the most holy place is now open. Wow. I think that's incredible. I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm sitting here going, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, like, golly. It's available for all those who would believe. It's his spirit. It's his, his presence. How many of you have actually sensed God's presence before? Just like literally sensed the presence of God. I'm going to share a little bitty weird story with you. You may think I'm a little weird, but Sunday, Sunday morning, this past Sunday, second service was just incredible. The, the spirit of God was rich. And, and when I say that, I mean that it was just, it was like tangible and almost touchable. I'm standing right here and I'm worshiping. A lot of times when I worship, I pray in the spirit or I'll sing in the spirit or I'll just sing the song, the actual words. And I made a mistake and recorded myself singing one time. It's horrible. And so that's why I kind of sing in the spirit because nobody gets to hear me sing. But anyway, so I'm doing all that. And, and we get to the, we just finished up communion. We get to the, the, the next song with spirit breakout. And about midway through that song, I just sensed the presence of God. And I shut up and I just, I just sat there. And then we got into the last song and I'm standing right here and they're singing. You may think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, I felt Jesus put his arm around me and I'm standing right here and his arm is around me and I had to look up at him. That means Jesus is tall, right? I mean, he's like right up in here. And I don't know if it was in a song or if Leeson said something about a wind that goes around him or a wind that blows around him. But I'm standing like this and I can feel this wind just come. And every once in a while it would hit me on the arm. And I, I, I was freaking out a little bit. I've sensed this presence before, but this was like, I never, I never like sensed it like that. And it was rich. And what's crazy is, is I get up. To preach and I tell everybody that the Spirit of God is, is here. 
And then at like three or four o'clock, Sam calls me. He goes, bro, bro, man, I was in the drum cage. Dude, this has only happened to me three times. I mean, he's fired up when he's, he's telling me it's like that. He's going, it's only happened to me three times. And all three times the preacher got up and said, the presence of God is rich in this place. He said there was a wind in the drum cage blowing around. And I go, okay, so I did see Jesus. He was there. I'm in the car celebrating. I ain't crazy. That's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. I didn't wake up with any kind of a special anointing. Lisa sang great. She said great things in between the songs, but it wasn't her. Watch this. It was all of us. Go with me to John chapter 20. Let me show you how that happened. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. So, so Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he raises from the grave. He begins to show himself to some, some of his followers. And it says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So in other words, they're in this place and the doors, it's locked down. Suddenly... Jesus was standing there among them. Some translations say that he walked through the wall. (laughs) And Jesus' first words are, peace be with you. (laughs) Today would have been like, yo, chill out. It's okay. Whoa, whoa. It's me. (laughs) Just relax. Okay, that's, that's kind of what it was like. Peace be with you, he said. And he spoke. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So, so get this. They've heard him say, I'm going to the cross. They've heard him say, I must suffer. They've heard him say, I'm going to rise again. If you destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. They've heard all those things. But, but this is the first time this has ever happened. So they see Jesus go to the cross. They see him go into the grave. Three days later, they can't find him. And then, boom, he appears to them. In real time. Like can touch him. They see the scars, the piercing. They see all these things. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Okay? That's what the Bible says. That's how salvation comes. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? And believe in your heart that God raised him from where? They saw that. Before Paul could ever preach that, they saw that. They saw the resurrected Jesus in the room. Salvation came into the house that day. Watch what Jesus says. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them. Watch this. I ate a mint. Don't worry about it. He breathes. You smell it? He breathes on them. 
so glad it smelled like mint. He breathed on them. Watch this. Receive the Holy Spirit. Before this, before someone gives their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with them. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to Christ. We never come to Christ on our own. We never wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to try this Jesus thing. Doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit is with us and he draws us to, to Jesus. You follow me? And in that moment, Romans 10, 9 and 10 happens. We get saved. In that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Watch this. The presence of God that was hidden behind the veil is now available to us when Jesus released his spirit. And now that same spirit, the presence of God lives inside of us. Bump your neighbor, say, wake up. God's inside of you. That was lame. That's better. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. Are you seeing this? He once was in a box. Then he made it to a tent. And then he was in this big old massive building. And then when Jesus went to the cross, now he's released to every one of us. And he lives inside of us on the day of salvation. In the Romans 10, 9, and 10 moment, Jesus, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He's the Spirit in them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. Now flip a couple pages and go to Acts chapter 1. So now all of a sudden, these believers have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Salvation came through the wall, and they saw salvation. And they believed in it. I guarantee they had no issues believing when they saw Jesus that God raised him from the dead. Because they were all there when he gave his spirit and when he gave his life up on the cross. And they were all there to put him in the grave. Right? So watch Acts chapter 1. The spirit's inside of them. Verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, this is right before he ascended into heaven, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's two different baptisms. Just a little side note. There's the baptism of water, which is unto repentance. It's the cleansing away of sin. And then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's said the baptism in water and the baptism in fire. Two separate baptisms. For all of you who were theologically stuck, hopefully you're out the mud. There's two different baptisms. There's a baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit. It says, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore, us, restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Jesus gets them back on course in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, what? Say it again. Upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he gives a bunch of locations, which basically means people closest to you, uh, not so close to you, and people far away from you is what it basically means. But you're going to receive power when this Holy Spirit who's already living inside of you now comes upon you. A baptism, if you would, a fire, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this even making sense? You're going to receive power. Notice, though, that he says to be a witness. The first indication of the power of the Holy Spirit is that now you start to be to witness to people and you start to tell them about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit was is with us now. And he's drawing people to Jesus. And when they surrender and they give their life to Jesus, then he comes to live inside of them. And then after that, there's an opportunity for you, for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. This is making sense. I want to make sure it's clear. This is the presence of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus was the presence of God when he was walking on the earth. Wherever Jesus went, the presence of God was there with him because the Holy Spirit was in him and upon him. You remember when he got water baptized, he came out what? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. So Jesus was anointed, he was baptized, he was, the Holy Spirit was inside, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Everywhere that he went, he was the manifest presence of God. But he said this, he said, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit can come to live among you. So what does all this mean? This means that God's presence is with you. This means that if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've had that Romans 10, 9 and 10 experience, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you and you need to recognize and identify and learn to live and walk and breathe and operate knowing that you have the spirit of God, the presence of God living inside of you. It should give you confidence. It should give you boldness. It should give you strength. It should give you courage. Believers shouldn't be beat up and broken and bruised. Like, like we go, we walk around and we're like, oh, my tire's flat. Really? The world's coming to an end. We're like, Eeyore. Sometimes I want to grab people and go, hey, God's inside of you. Act like it. Shoot, I felt better. That means that when you give your life to Jesus, he comes, the spirit of God lives inside of you. And then if you if you ask Jesus to baptize you with his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you more. How much does God love you and want to be with you? That he's going to give you more. Inside of you ain't good enough for God, baby. He wants to give you more. And more. And if you'll ask for more, he'll give you more. He'll give you so much you'll pass out on the floor. Holy Spirit's living inside of me. 
The Holy Spirit's living inside of me. The presence of God is inside of me. Listen to me. He don't want to stay there. The Bible never said that inside of my belly is a lake. He said it's a, it's a living water. It's a river inside of me. The Holy Spirit needs to come out of me. It's not there just to stay. It's there to come out of me. But I got to release it. I got to release it. It's not there just for me. Because you see, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the first direction, the first thing that God says, he comes upon you and you're going to go. He didn't say stay and sit down and just, oh, it's all about me. Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. Have your own little tent meeting in your house with your blinds closed. That ain't what it's for. He comes upon you to be a witness. What does that mean? Just tell people what the heck happened to you. It don't have to be theological. It could be like, yo, bro, I went to this. I went, man, I met this dude, man. Look, look, bro. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. This guy. He, he told me about this dude, Jesus, and told me about this. I, I, I guess I was jacked up. I thought I was good, but I got this sin, and Jesus took care of my sin. And, and before you knew it, I gave my life to Jesus, and now all of a sudden, dude, I, I don't know what's going on inside of me, but just, just stuff's happening. That's witnessing. That's witnessing. The morning after I was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon me, I was standing on the railroad tracks in Kinder, Louisiana, next to this guy that was bigger than me. We called him Grape Ape. And I was witnessing the Grape Ape on the tracks. I can bring you to the crossing where we were. And I'm sitting there telling him, like, yo, bro, listen, man. <sighs> bro. <sighs> let, me, let me tell you about Jesus, man. I had to wind myself down. Let me tell you about Jesus. Well, I'll go to church, you know. That's good. That's good. But let me tell you about Jesus. I'm not trying to tell you about church. That's Jesus. And I witnessed to grape ape on the tracks. Comes upon us. He gives us power. The first thing is to be a witness. God wants his presence in all people. He don't want you to keep it to yourself. You see what happened Sunday morning? Let me tell you what happened Sunday morning. We got a great worship team. We got great dream team. We got people that are spirit filled parking cars in the parking lot. People get touched all the way into the seat long before I ever preached to them. We got all that. But that ain't what happened. The people of God who had the spirit of God living inside of them and upon them got together. And then what happened is it says, One seat got filled, there was some. The next seat got filled, there was more. The next seat got filled, there was more. Then there was more. The next next row, there was more. And then there was more over here, then there was more. I'm just sitting here going, what's going to happen when we recognize what's really going on? I mean, think about that. When we all start realizing and living and operating in the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and he's upon me, Lord Jesus, what's going to happen? 
Too many preachers take credit for what the people bring into the church. Too many people in the church don't know what they got, though. Come on. Come on. Come on, get you some of that. I'm trying. Man, if we'll just recognize what's inside of us. Think about that. I love to hear people say, man, you know, we don't see miracles no more, man. You know, we don't see things happening like they used to, man. Why? Well, you know, it's the church, man. The church don't preach right. Church don't do right. Really? Really? It's the church's fault? It's the preacher's fault? Or is it every one of our faults for not understanding what's living inside of us and what can live upon us? You are the manifest presence, just like Jesus was when he walked on the earth. You're the same way. You're his manifest presence on this earth. If you work at Walmart, you're the manifest presence of God at Walmart. If you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, you're the the manifest presence of God at McDonald's. Amen? Wherever you go, you need to have that confidence, that boldness inside of you that says, I am a representative of God. I am God's presence on this earth. That's who I am. If we'll ever get that. If we'll ever get that. If we'll ever get that, I don't think we'll struggle with sin as bad. If we ever get it that God moved mountains and did things and lowered himself into a box to just be with his people. If we ever get how much God loves us, we'll walk away from everything that has a chain on us. I'm just telling you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians because you need to have a little bit of a warning with all this. This all sounds great, but I got to give you a little bit of a warning. Because God loves to dwell with his people. But just like he did with the tabernacle and the ark and everything else, he's got specific instructions for his environment. Just like he created the garden, specifically how he wanted it, to dwell in it. Just how he created the box and gave him specific instructions for him to come into the box. And behind the curtain and the tabernacle and all that, he gives us specific instructions 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Watch this. Do not, um, don't you realize that you all, that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. You know what? <laughs> if I destroy this temple, God's going to destroy me. Because I'm anyone. Let me back it up. Don't you realize that all of you believers together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So what is he saying? You're holy and you're the temple of God. You're the temple of God. 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, now watch this, I will live in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, or because of that, come out of or out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you hear that? Separate yourselves. God wants you to himself. He wants us for himself. He doesn't want to share us with the world. He doesn't want to share us with idols. He doesn't want to share us with addictions. He doesn't want to share us with bondage. He doesn't want to share us with anything else. God wants us to be separate, set apart for him, a vessel of honor that he could use. Are you seeing this? Shake your head. Yes. I'm going to keep beating the point down. Okay. Verse seven, chapter seven, verse one, watch this. And then I'm gonna wrap it up. Because we have these promises, dear friends, what promises? I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Those promises. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from anything. Say anything. Say everything. That can defile our body and our spirit. So what defiles our body and our spirit? The Bible says that if you're a glutton, you're the same as a drunkard. Now, I don't know if you've ever been drunk before and tried to be intimate with God. It don't work. Well, if a glutton is like a drunkard, then if you're full... And you ate too much. Come on, Christmas and Thanksgiving. (laughs) Then you've defiled your body, which in turn defiles your spirit. If you're drunk with wine, if you're, you're caught up with pills, if you're addicted to drugs, pornography, anything, anything that has nothing to do with God, anything that's not going to get you closer to God, defiles your body and your spirit. He says... That because we have these promises, in other words, because God wants to, because he so desperately wants to live with us, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself from everything that, would, that can defile our body and our spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. It's not because I'm scared to death of God. It's because I'm scared to lose the presence of God. 
What drives me to live holy? I don't want to run God off. Why don't I drink anymore? Because I don't want to defile myself and run God off. But Pastor, the Bible says we can drink. Drink. If you think you can drink and handle it, drink. But you just might be living without God. That's the fear. You remember in the Old Testament where Moses was getting ready to go into a new territory? And God said, well, then go. What did Moses say? If you don't go, we don't go. Let me tell you the problem. The problem is most of us don't believe this. Most of us don't want to hear this. Because it causes something to have to die inside of us. And we don't want to die. Remember John 3.16 and on? Light came into the world, but people didn't like light because they liked their darkness. Because their darkness, they could hide their sin. The reason people hide out is because they don't want their sin exposed. Why don't they want their sin exposed? Because they like it. Because it's fun. Because it's cool. They don't like it. They don't, they don't want to give it up. Well, because of that, you live in this life without the presence of God. People don't know. Let me ask you a question. Can you be saved and not know about the Holy Spirit? Answer me. You're scared to answer me because you know I got the right answer. (laughs) Can you be saved and not know anything about the Holy Spirit? Yes. Watch this. Acts chapter 19. Verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Say several believers. In other words, there's more than one, probably more than two. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. But they believed. They believed. They were believers. And they hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Would it be fair to say that people are filling churches today and giving their lives to Jesus, but completely unaware that there is a Holy Spirit? Completely unaware. So they're living life. This is what it looks like. They're living life trying to do things themselves, trying to earn things themselves. They're trying to break their own bondages. They're trying to break their own chains. They're trying to overcome overcome sin all by themselves. And they don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit living inside of them. The presence of God is inside of them and they don't even know it. And when you don't know it, you can't walk in it. If you can't recognize it, then how are you going to use it? So what are we supposed to do? Release it. 
acknowledge it, recognize it, walk in it, and then release it. What does that mean, Pastor? That means let the Holy Spirit begin to produce fruit in your life. Let the Holy Spirit just operate. Let him have his way. Open up the box. Let him out. Don't be afraid to die to self. Because when you die to self in one other area, God raises to life another area in your life. And you get more life inside of you. Are you seeing this? Let those things die that need to die. You follow me? But release it. Let it go. Don't be ashamed to talk about Jesus. Don't be ashamed to tell people about Christ. Don't be ashamed to pray for some folks. I went to see my my kid's principal last week, or maybe this week. I don't know what day it is. Last week. No, maybe this week. Monday. I went to see him Monday, and I'm I'm sharing my heart with him. And afterwards, we walk out. It's a five-minute meeting. There's not very many emotions going on. The guy looks at me and goes, and he knows I'm a pastor. He goes, can I pray for you? I was like, yeah. So he prayed for me. It's a good prayer. Can't remember it all, but it was good. And I, so for me, that wasn't good. I was like, well, can I pray for you? And we had a little prayer meeting. <laughs> Laid hands on each other. <laughs> In a good way. Release it. Just release it. I mean, can we, can we just say tonight, just, there's, there's, I don't know, how many people in here, Daniel? 50 people here tonight. The population in Eunice is somewhere between 10 and 11 and a half thousand people. Okay? I didn't want to say, anyway, I didn't want to prophesy. Between 10 and 11 and a half thousand people in the, in the city of Eunice, city limits. If 50 people, watch this, if 50 people would wake up and realize that they're the manifest presence of God in the city of Eunice, what can happen? 50 Jesuses in the city of Eunice, what can happen? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of me. That's called resurrection power. 50 people in the city of Eunice can flip a city. But if we don't release it, Nobody else gets to receive it. You see, you're God's chosen vessel. You're God's representative. 